Good morning. My name is Mark Thompson, and it is a real joy for me to be with you today. Um, my, my title is Executive Minister of the American Baptist Churches of Indiana and Kentucky. Um, my mom calls me Mark, and um, if I'm completely honest, sometimes she calls me Sonny Buck. Um, so uh, she thinks there's something kind of special about me, but um, for the most part, there's really nothing special about me other than um, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Um, we're Baptists. We really don't do titles very well. Um, I meet with the leadership of other denominations, and they're all called bishops. And when I just sign in, my name's Mark. You know, I, that's, just, that's just who I am. Um, I bring greetings. Um, there's about 275 American Baptist churches through Indiana and Kentucky, and um, you're one of them. And so I bring greetings from your sister churches. And um, a little, little quick history lesson. Um, we, we didn't get started um, as American Baptists by somebody who went around and just planted a bunch of churches named John the Baptist or anything like that. Um, churches were already functioning. And then they, they kind of formed in clusters and groups and, and they were like, if we work together, we could do a greater mission. We could, we could support missionaries. And, just a local church by ourselves, that'd be hard for us to do. But if, if we work together, we can support a greater mission. And out of that is how we came to be. Um, we, we exist to support a greater mission. Um, so so that, that happened before like the, the state of Rhode Island was formed, right? I mean, we've been around for hundreds of years. And um, long story short, when I, when I share with what we do, um, I like to think of what I do um, now mostly is to help be a pastor to pastors. And um, what I'm gonna say next, um, Jeremy didn't pay me $5 to say or anything. I just want you to know, I've spent time with Jeremy and I want you to know just how much he loves this church. I mean, his, his heart beats for Jesus in this church. And he feels very blessed to be your pastor. And, and in like manner, I, I, I hope that you feel blessed to have him as your pastor. And I, I sense that. That's why um, when, when he asked if I could fill the pulpit today, I was really excited to do so um, because I, there were no bad stories of him to tell about what happens on Sunday morning. It's like, yeah, I can be with that group. Um, <laughs> that sounds great. Um, so I, I just, just wanna hop right into our, our message today because um, man, this is a, a, an exciting message to preach. And um, as, as I begin to, to think about Isaiah and what we're going to look at in these uh, initial couple verses, I want to share a little bit about my own background of, of what led me into these passages. Um, I pastored for 14 years, um, First Baptist Church of Brazil, Indiana. And it's okay if you don't know where that is. Um, it's not far from Terre Haute. And the reason I bring that up, Terre Haute is the only federal prison with a death row. Um, there are other federal prisons. Um, there are, there's even a supermax um, where they keep prisoners underground, but they're not on death row. They may die in prison, but, but they're not going to be executed. And so Terre Haute has some of the worst possible people um, that our country has known. And um, I've gotten, I've had the privilege to, to go do Bible study um, with these inmates. Um, I've done Bible study in Putnamville at the state prison. 
Um, there is a free drug rehab outside of Brazil called the House of Hope. And I got to teach there um, for 12 years, every Friday morning. And I only taught the Gospel of Luke. And so um, I learned a lot about the Gospel of Luke, um, teaching that for 12 years. And um, I'm sharing that with you um, because it's out of these rich um, experiences of being a pastor at a local church um, and, and getting to know some of the, what might be termed the best and the worst of society um, throughout my ministry, um, I've learned some things. And one of, the, one of the chief principles I've learned is that God is intentionally disruptive in our lives. It's part of his nature. When, when Moses saw the burning bush, he, it was a disruption to his life. Just merely that he had seen bushes before. He's seen bushes that were on fire before. He had never seen a bush that was on fire but not being consumed. And he's like, I think I'm gonna go over and investigate this. And then God used that to get his attention and then disrupted his life. Every single person I read about in scripture, God intentionally disrupted their life. It's his nature. Uh, let's just be honest. We don't want our lives disrupted. Often we like them just as they are. But we read in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. When Isaiah says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. And then he begins to mention this new thing that God is doing. I have, I have found just in that passage, the gospel message. I find in there the gospel truth. I find in there the message that, that all people need to hear. And, I, and I'm gonna categorize two groups of people. The first group of people I wanna talk about, I have been richly blessed in my ministry by hanging out with this group of people. This group of people, um, when, when I talk about letting go of the past, man, that is good news to them. Because in this world, in, in the life in which they live, they've had a rough past. And in this past, the world has put a variety of labels on them. I had a guy one time in my Bible study, um, since we're in a federal prison, he says that, have you ever heard the term going postal? He says, that's because of me. I thought, I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna make a note of that. Be nice to him. Um, don't, make, make sure Bible study's a little entertaining, you know? Um, another guy, he just blatantly shared that um, he had killed two people in cold blood, told me how he did it, confessed. And he says, I'm a, I'm a cold-blooded killer. But he also shared how Jesus Christ died for him. And I got to share with him the gospel message that according to, to 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the, he is a new creation. 
The old is gone, the new has come. I got to explain to him that if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you're a new creation, all of those labels that the world has put on you, Jesus Christ died to remove. Now, some of you sitting there, you're thinking, yeah. I mean, what's the big deal? But I'm telling you, as I've encountered people who walk the face of this earth, man, that is the good news right there. Jesus Christ died to remove all the labels the world has put on us. Everyone. And I love to proclaim that gospel message. And so when God says, and I through the, the prophet Isaiah, you need to stop dwelling on the things of the past. If Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all of those things of your past, he doesn't want you to dwell on them anymore. If Jesus Christ died to remove all of those labels, I mean, they were nailed to him on that cross, right? He suffered greatly so you don't have to. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let me, let me unpack that a little bit. Now, I grew up in a Baptist church, and they threw around big words like sanctification and justification and stuff like that. I'm just going to tell you, that was over my head most of the time. But I went to seminary, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not real smart, so I figured, out how, I figured these things out. Sanctified just simply means that you've been proclaimed holy and righteous and set apart for God's purpose. Man, that's special. Jesus Christ has sanctified you. You have been sanctified. You have been proclaimed holy and righteous and set apart for his purpose. Whatever purpose you had before, it wasn't his purpose. That's how you accumulated all of those labels. But now you have been proclaimed holy and righteous in Christ Jesus, and all of those labels are gone. You couldn't remove those labels. You couldn't peel them off. So that's where justification comes in. So I told you I'm not real smart. So here's how I remember justification. Watch what I do here. Um, Jesus makes it just as if you never sinned to begin with. That's how I passed seminary, by the way. (laughs) That's how those labels come off. When Jesus Christ died for us, it's more than just forgiveness. If I've been forgiven of something, man, I'm still gonna carry the weight of what I did. But if I've been justified, if I've been proclaimed holy and righteous because of Christ Jesus, then in the eyes of God, Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, through the work that Jesus did, not what I could ever do, he made it just as if I never had those labels to start with because I am a new creation. I've been born again. That's why we use those terms. So you don't have to dwell on the past. The rest of your days, you don't wear those labels. You don't carry the weight of that because you've been more than forgiven. And what are you going to do now? That's what I used to ask all the drug addicts. You know, what are you going to do now? You used to to, to, to find a drug dealer and pretty much give him your soul to get whatever. And if you're not gonna live like that for that guy anymore, what if you live for God with that same passion where I'm gonna give you absolutely everything I got? I just wonder what would happen. 
It was fun to watch. But as I unpack this and I, uh, and I talk about forgetting the former things, um, I, I just talked about one group of people, but I told you as a pastor, I've learned of a second group of people who need to forget the former things. Those group of people, they, they kind of walk through life as, as if they barely needed Jesus to get to heaven. Like, they, they were so close to heaven without Jesus, if they tripped and fell, they may actually make it. <laughs> now, I, I'm, I'm, not the kind, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as physically fit as I, I used to be. So I've got all these used to coulds, right? I can't bench 315 pounds. I used to could, right? Could jog four or five miles. Used to could, can't anymore. And I have found in this second group of people, a group who walk through life talking about all the things they used to could do for Jesus and all the things they've done as if he's finished with them. And as if that counts for something today. If you think that might be where you are, you just go and read how old Noah was when he started the ark and then come talk to me. But I'm telling you, people and churches, God's ready to disrupt your life. God's ready to do it. I was talking to one church and I, and I, I was asking them about, you know, how, how they would be known in the community. And they're like, oh, well, we had this fire and we rebuilt and that's, the community knows all about that and what we've gone through and how we rebuilt. And I'm, I'm looking around this place and it looks a little dated. And I'm, I'm like, when did this happen? Oh, I just want you to know it was over a quarter of a century before. Everybody in that congregation talked like it had just happened. I'm sure it was devastating to them. But when I talked to them about what God has done lately, all they could talk about is what God did a quarter of a century ago. Man, God is alive. Amen. He's moving today. And if he hasn't disrupted your life in a while, hold on. Because those are exciting things when he goes to disrupting our life. Now, uh, Sometimes, as region staff, we get to come and preach in churches, and um, we talk about this new stuff that God wants to do, and this disruptive nature, and churches will say, we always hear you say stuff like that, but um, why don't you tell us what God's trying to do? I'm like, no, 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 that's not my role, is to go around from church to church telling you what God wants you to do, no more than it is for me to call you up individually and tell you what God wants you to do, because let me tell you why. My mind is too small. I always try to put God in a box. I always try to put a limit on what God may be doing. It's dangerous. I started my, my call to ministry in Huntington, West Virginia, where I grew up. And I said, God, I, you know, I, I'm about to graduate high school. And I said, God, I feel you calling me to ministry and I will serve you. I just don't want to leave my family behind. 
You know, my family has known this property since before West Virginia was a state. I'm, I feel kind of tied to it. I feel kind of tied to my, to my family and to care for them. So the week after I graduated high school, God moved me two and a half hours away to volunteer with the church. And I told God, that's not so bad. I will serve you, just don't make me leave West Virginia. Well, how'd that work out? <laughs> I learned to stop putting these boundaries on what I wanted God to do and how I wanted him to work in my life. I had a guy come to me. He said, Pastor, you know, um, God's calling me to do something in the church. What do you want me to do? I'm like, well, those aren't the same things. If you just said, God wants you to do something, then don't ask me what I want you to do. I'm not God. He said, you, you pray about it. He comes back three weeks later. He goes, Pastor, God told me to do something. I'm like, I can't wait to hear this. He says, you know, when I bring my kids to church, they're bored. No offense taken. They're bored. I want that nursery to, to, to look a little nicer. Humpty Dumpty on the wall has pointy eyebrows and he looks more scary than he does friendly. <laughs> we need to update some of the pictures painted on the wall. And, and that concrete floor needs some carpet. So when they get down to play, they're not going to be playing on a cold floor. And there's no sink in that bathroom for the kids to wash their hands. He goes, God's told me that I want my kids to enjoy this place as much as I do. So I'm going to hire somebody to come in and redo everything in that, in that nursery. Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> Go do it. I had some trustees contact me. Did you give him permission to do this? Yes, I did. Well, why didn't you talk to us? Because you would have ruined it. <laughs> this man's on fire for Jesus, doing what God's called him to do. Who are we to then second guess any of it? The only thing we'll do is get in the way. Man, that was, those were exciting times to watch God do that in people's lives but it's disruptive. It's disruptive to the church. It's disruptive to our lives. And I'm telling you, God's behind that. Let's turn to this passage in the gospel of Luke. Verse 22 says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. In Luke chapter eight, verse 22, we read a simple command of Jesus to let's go over to the other side of the lake. And I'm, I'm gonna unpack this for a minute. And because we're Baptists, you're welcome to disagree with me. It's okay. But I'm gonna tell you what I think's going on here. And this is a, a, a Bible nerd guess, okay? Halfway through the book of Acts, God drags Peter into a Gentile's house. Needless to say, the disciples didn't hang out with a lot of Gentiles. When Jesus looks at these disciples and says, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Well, they get in the boat and, and they go. But I would argue that they were always told as good little Jewish boys, never go over to the other side of the lake. If you're a good Jewish little boy, you don't ever Step foot on that side of the lake. We don't hang out with those kind of people. Let me tell you why I think that. 
We're not going to get into the whole, whole story today in every detail. I'm just going to let you in on the background here. On the other side of that lake is a pig farm. How many pig farms are in Jerusalem? There are no pig farms in Jerusalem. That other side of the lake is known as, that area is known as the Decapolis, which is Greek. Deca meaning ten, opolis meaning city. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that. You just have to go to math and learn Deca is ten and watch Superman and Metropolis means city. Ten Greek cities. And I'm going to tell you, when I first moved to Indiana, I lived on a 15-acre lake. And the side of the lake I lived on was pretty nice. There was a very wealthy man who blessed me with the opportunity to, to live in a little fish house. That's what they called it. Wasn't real big, but met my needs. I was blessed. I could fish all I wanted. Praise the Lord. On the other side of that lake, they had a livestock auction. And twice a month, they ran pigs through. And I never had to go to find out which two nights. them hot July nights and that wind would blow, man, I'd want to go visit someplace else. I'm telling you, these Jewish boys were told, don't go over to the other side of the lake, just smell that place. And Jesus looks at him and says, let's go over to the other side of the lake as if it's no big deal. I'm telling you, this is disruptive to their life and to everything they'd ever been taught that God wanted them to do. So what happens? They get in the boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A small, let's see, a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. I don't know about you, but I've been in enough churches and in enough meetings to know when something gets difficult, one of our first responses is to say, God can't be in this or it wouldn't be this hard. We must have not heard the voice of God the way we thought we, we, we did because if he was truly in it, this storm wouldn't have come up to challenge us. Well, what Bible are you reading? John the Baptist, who paved the way for Jesus, what happened to him? Beheaded. Jesus Christ, crucified. All of his followers, it got easier for them and they didn't have any troubles. No, that's not how that story goes. All we read is that every follower of Jesus suffered greatly. For some reason in churches today, when we go to do what God's calling us to do, we mistake troubles and problems and disagreements as God must not be in it. Well, you don't know the disruptive nature of God. When they're sitting in that boat, and I think they're probably saying, this is why mama said we shouldn't go over there. My Sunday school teacher is going to be really disappointed in me. Why are we even following this guy? Who is this guy? Why would he call us over there? We all know better. This can't be right. It goes against everything I've ever been taught of who Jesus is and what God is like. Jesus is taking them there because their faith needs to be disrupted. 
They need to grow in their faith. And I also want you to know this. There's somebody on that other side that really matters. The disciples went and woke up Jesus saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. If I was to unpack that real fast, Jesus says, where is your faith? The Bible says in fear and amazement. And they ask, who is this? I'm going to put that together like this. If you have a fear issue, then you have a faith issue. If you have a faith issue, it's because you have a trust issue. And if you have a trust issue, it's because you don't know him the way you think you know him. I'll say it one more time. If you have a fear issue, it's because you have a faith issue. If you have a faith issue, it's because you have a trust issue. And if you have a trust issue, it's because you don't know him the way you think you know him. My, my wife is a special needs teacher. She had a student for six years in her classroom who passed. I got permission to share this from the family. I got to know the family pretty well. Come to find out, they had an older son with the same genetic disorder who passed. They conceived a second son who passed. And they knew while the child was still in the womb, what would happen. And so <clears throat> this family I got to know pretty well. Um, we sat with them and we grieved with them and I watched their faith. And you know, when, when you're in those spots, the things that matter the most to you aren't, aren't some great big lengthy passages of scripture. They're the most simplest of statements. And, and I watched this, this mother who would just sit in her son's bedroom and, and just weep. And my wife would sit in that bedroom and just weep with her. She had the most simplest of statements to help her overcome. And it was this, Jesus, I trust in you. How could she trust him that much? It's because she knew him. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus is taking these people, his disciples, over to the other side and this disruptive work that goes against everything these disciples have probably been taught because he wants them to know him better so they will trust him deeper. And what is it that he wants them to know? 
that all people matter to God. That God loves all people. The first person they encounter when they get to the other side, if I was to read through all the Gospels, here's how they describe him. He's demon-possessed. He's naked. He's bound in chains. He lives among the tombs. And he cuts himself. If you didn't catch all five of those, I want you to spend some time in Scripture and read all of this for yourself. I'm not going to give them to you again. That's intentional. That's a good Bible study to do. In all the years I would do Bible study with a variety of people, I've always asked the question, has anybody been all five of those things before? Whether it be the federal prison, the state prison, the drug rehab. Let me tell you the answer. Not one person had ever been more than three of those. Jesus crosses the lake for this man, all five of them. This man represents worst case scenario of anybody I've ever met. Most people probably have given up on. And when Jesus meets him, he delivers him almost effortlessly. And I'm quite certain when the disciples saw all the big dies, well, let's back up. I'm quite certain when they hit the bank and that's the first person they see, I imagine they were still thinking, Mom, this is what mom said, not to come over here. You know? <laughs> I called a grown man one time who worked for a power company and climbed the poles. I said, there's a, a, a guy I, I've worked with in the drug rehab and he's out, but he's, he's in a bad way and he needs some help. Can you go get him? Because um, he needs to be taken to the hospital. And this guy looks at me and he says, I, I just, over the phone, he goes, I don't know if I can do that. And he called up his sons who were um, officers and they're like, don't go. That's a dangerous place to be. And, and this guy ended up going anyways and getting that guy and taking him to the hospital and it saved his life. I mean, this is the disruptive work that God is calling us to because there are people in this community who matter. And when Jesus crosses the lake and he drags his disciples over there, it's because this guy matters. And Jesus removes all of those labels. And this guy knows it. And he is, he is so amazed with Jesus. Now, the rest of the town, they don't know what to do with Jesus. They're ready for Jesus to leave. I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of dead pigs. And this guy isn't acting the way he was just acting about 10 minutes ago. And we just heard him talk in a voice that wasn't his. And we're all freaked out. Jesus, we want you to leave. And this guy's like, hey, Jesus, I'd like to go with you. And Jesus says, no, you're going to stay. I got bet the disciples in the boat were like, <laughs> all right, I'm glad he's staying here. They get back in the boat and they go. Now, I've read, I've read these gospels and my understanding is this is the first time Jesus comes to the Decapolis. 
I read, I keep reading, I read that Jesus comes a second time to the Decapolis area. You know what happens? The people in those cities come out to meet Jesus. That's what the Bible says. He comes back to this area. The people in those cities come out to meet Jesus. How in the world? Last time he was here, they told him to leave. This time when he comes, they come out to meet him and they bring people who who need to be touched. They need to be seen by Jesus. They need his help. How did they know? What changed? Well, the only information I have from God's word is that Jesus radically changed the life of someone who was carrying a lot of labels and they were worst case scenario and he gave him a mission. And when he came back, the whole town, all 10 cities were different. I believe that God still does that. Because I've seen it happen over and over. The least likely person that you would ever think would come to Jesus, who in your mind may be worst case scenario, I want you to know there's not only hope, it could be the very person that God wants you to go talk to. That he may do something miraculous in their life and that this whole town will change. If I was to sell God short that he doesn't do that anymore, then I'm wasting your time and I'm reading his word for nothing. I believe that still happens today. And I see, I see what happens in people's lives and in the lives of their family and the lives of their neighborhood and the lives of their community when God has his way with them. That's an exciting place to be. Only the people who are ready for God to disrupt their life and their church experience it. Let us pray. Almighty God, have your way with me. Have your way with your people. Have your way with all people. May I not be afraid to get into the boat. May I not be afraid, dear Lord, for you to disrupt everything I thought I knew. May I not be afraid of you disrupting all the things that my Sunday school teachers taught me and all the things I thought I knew about you for what you're about to do. And dear Lord, may I even find joy in it as my faith grows and I know Jesus better and I trust him more. Father God, if that's the gospel message for someone in this room today, I'll pray with anybody who wants to pray. If there's somebody who's walked in this room today and they've, they came in wearing a bunch of labels and they're exhausted and the weight is too much and they've tried lots of other things that just didn't work. Father God, today, all those labels can come off. They only need Jesus. And they'd like to talk about him more and, and pray to him and, 
and repent. They would confess their sins to you and, and walk away from them this day and be free. Father God, I want to expand that. If, 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 there, if there's a Sunday school class, if there's a group of deacons, I, I don't know, I don't know anything going on in this church specifically, but dear Lord, I do know churches. And, and if, there's, if there's some weight being carried and someone, someone's in that spot where they're ready for their faith to be radically transformed so that they may be a follower of Jesus. Father God, today's the day that you can change their life too. And they don't need me. They only need you. May they... Stop focusing on all the used to coulds and get excited about what you're going to do today and find joy in the fact that you're inviting them to join you. And may we be totally open for our lives to be disrupted. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray.